Inspiration, Adventist Reflections. COVID-19 has brought various challenges and for some even difficulties. However, amongst these, we must count our blessings. If you would like to join us in this journey, please contact us via our Facebook or Instagram accounts as Adventist Reflections. In this new project, we dissect things that we were advised before they come to pass, so that really when they come to pass, we believe and strengthen our belief. Are you ready? Here we go. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here again tonight. Lord, there is so many things, so many questions, so many ideas, as at least that I had in my mind as we went through this chapter and that we will uh, talk a little bit about. We pray that you be, you be the one who help us to understand uh, what we read, that you be the one who help us to understand the scriptures, that you help us to understand who you are and why things go the way they go because of that. And so as we open the Bible and as we um, relate to each other our impressions, we ask that your Holy Spirit be the one who guide those impressions, that your angels be ministering to us, angels of light, and that all of those things that are dark may be swept away by your glory. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what I want to ask is, what is, the, what is the title of the chapter? What insights do you have about this chapter? When shall they, these things be? When? The time. Aha. So when shall these things be? Thank you, Angelica. That's right. When shall these things be? Uh, interesting chapter. I mean, so far, what, what have we studied? We studied chapter one. It was about the idea of trouble. And then last week, we studied chapter two. And chapter two was about who remembers chapter two of those of you who were here. Yeah? Stevie is whispering Matthew 24. Stevie is whispering Matthew 24. <laughs> Return. Okay, okay. Yeah, the signs. Let's think about chapter three now. What caught your attention? If you read it, if you didn't, if you are just having it in front of you, that's okay too. Maybe you're going through it, you're perusing it, you're just like, oh, you know, glancing at it. What is catching or has caught your attention in chapter three of the last day um, event? The one that stood out for me during the week as I read it at the beginning of last week was the phrase where she said that if we keep the judgment scenes before our, ourselves, it will change our characters. And um, for, for me, it was, uh, I try and do it with the children to keep that, their focus on, on that, not the judgment itself, well, but a, a bit of it, mm-hmm. to look forward to the coming of Christ, but also that it is coming with a judgment with it. And so for me, it was like, wow, I didn't realize that that's, because I'm always thinking, you know, we have to be Christ-like, we have to, and by faith in him, we let him change us. But this is something that I can do to to encourage that change in my head sort of thinking. I don't know. So that was like a, a, like a little tick. It's like, yay, there's something there to work on sort of to reflect on because we should be meditating on God's word throughout our day anyway. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it was a clear reason what we can do okay yeah yeah the idea of judgment thank you Anna that's that's nice you know meditating on that idea and you know the idea of judgment is interesting because it depends I think I mentioned this before but it depends on what side of the fence you're sitting if you're sitting if you are with God judgment is actually a beautiful thing Uh, sometimes we think about judgment as something quite horrendous you know but the gnashing of teeth won't be for those people who have God's righteousness, you know, those who have uh, washed the, the, the ropes in the, in the blood of the Lamb, as Revelation chapter 7 says in 14. Oh, nice. Any other thoughts about that or something else uh, in the chapter? I think the chapter really emphasizes the fact that no one can put a time or a date um, and when the disciples asked, you know, it says here, I can't remember what it says, when the disciples asked, it said, like Jesus responded in mm-hmm. not by giving the date, he responded mm-hmm. by giving events 
and specifying things that were to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, there's a, I just let me see where it is. Um, page 33, paragraph one. Um, mm-hmm. It says that if, if God, if Jesus had a given a date or a time, it says a condition of things would have result Hold on. would result from this knowledge of knowing the date among our people that would greatly retard the work of God in preparing people to stand in the great day that is to come. Um, we're talking with, I think, I can't remember who it was. Was that with you? We're talking with someone about, you know, if everyone knew when the date was, everyone would, let's just say, bright, like really bright, like blatant. They'd live a really wicked life and be like, oh, Jesus is coming in a month. Let us get our lives in order. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, for the sincerity of the heart condition that God desires, he's mm. like, let me not give you a date because my desire is for you to daily desire mm. um, the coming of Christ and to be at one with him, regardless of whether it's in a month from now or 20 years from now. So, yes, yeah. point that was interesting. It is. Oh, anybody has any thoughts about that? What Catalina just shared uh, about that specific aspect? Of if we were to know, we will literally retard the work of the gospel spreading. Any other quotes or, or similar uh, comments? Yeah, London. Yeah, if we, uh, I'm just looking at the the reason here. If we if we knew the day and hour of Christ's return, we wouldn't develop a Christ-like character. Mm. Mm. And in order to live in heaven, we have to be Christ-like. Mm. And so we'll, uh, Mm. Yeah. We'll become very complacent. We we become Christian bludgers. The Laodicean condition will continue. We'll just be there on the borderline. You know, linked to this, what you were sharing, both of you, you know, of that complacency, Catalina, of the idea that it will, it will, it will, the, the gospel won't be preached everywhere. It caught my attention, Sister what is talking to this guy. She's having a dialogue. She's saying, you know, one person, I spoke with one person who approached me who said, hey, you know, I wish. I wish that why cannot God tells us that he's coming in the next 10 years kind of thing or that he's coming when is he coming and sister why saying, hey you know if you knew that he was coming in the next 10 years would you change your mind would you change your opinion would you change the way you're doing things and he said yeah for sure if I knew he was coming in 10 years I would be doing things differently and 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 the dialogue finishes there and then she goes on to comment on that conversation she had with his brother. And she said, like, how selfish of this man it is to think that. And that puzzled my attention. I actually was thinking, like, I reread it again. I, I, I had to go through it again. I was like, selfish, selfish, selfish. And it goes back, I think, to what you were mentioning, you know, the idea that we wouldn't prepare, but also the idea that that if we were to give it a time, we potentially we will fall back into that and 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 willingness to to do the Matthew twenty four fourteen idea, because at the end of the day, hey, you know, I'll 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 start kicking off my I'll start brushing off my um uh, my Bible skills. I'll start memorizing the scripture, you know, in year number nine, and by about year number nine and a half, I start going Bible studies. A good Bible study to baptize somebody takes about six months, maybe, and then I'll baptize somebody, and then Christ will come and he'll find me doing the work. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else get lost. <laughs> I'm just thinking the um, the wise virgins of the parable in Matthew 26. Um, mm. They're buying from they they get they they, t- they tell the they have oil in their lamps, and yeah. they're told in the spirit of prophecy part of that oil is that they are buying a Christ-like character. Mm-hmm. They're working in, in they're working with the Holy Spirit to develop a Christ-like character, a character that is characterized by grace, humility, truth, and love. And mm. uh, if we, uh, our job now is to develop a Christ-like character in 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 cooperation with the the Holy Spirit, and that means we'll have the oil in our vessels, and we'll be found <laughs> with the door open, not the door shut, when Jesus yeah. comes. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Landon. Yes, yes, we need to be prepared at all times. Thank you. Catalina? I was, I was going to share. So my mom is very clean, and my cleaning is never up to her standard. So <laughs> I remember once she would intentionally show up at my house without telling oh. me, 
just so she could suss out how clean my house was so that I couldn't prepare and tidy things up just because she was around. Um, And I think that's a little bit of like the human mindset that sometimes we can we can have this idea of let me prepare, let me put on the facade, let me make things look right and proper, but deep down inside, that's not who we are. And Stevie passed me the book and wanted me to share this highlighted bit. Um, He's got it in the book. So it's page 309. So I don't know what paragraph it is because it doesn't show paragraphs, but it says the title just before the bit, it says what Christ is waiting for. And it says Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in the church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. So it's similar to Landon's point. Um, not only is it like our own individual preparation, but it's also the preparation for the church corporately um, that Mm. God is basically delaying his coming for. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a part, a section there somewhere. Yes, clearly. Yeah. It also um, shows your motivation as well in doing things. Okay. If you're just, if you're just there to make it to, if you think it's just, you know, I'll make it to heaven. But if you really, really love Christ truly, then the time doesn't really matter. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you might know that he won't come anytime in your lifetime. You'll continue um, as well preparing. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, somewhere there, it talks about the idea that uh, Christ doesn't, he doesn't give a time, no, no five, no 10, no 20, no 50, whatever, you know, years, because um, he, he will give, he doesn't want to give people excuses for, for excuses for delaying the preparation, you know, um, for, for the time that he comes back. And I think it goes back to what you're saying, clearly, and you as well, Catalina, and on that, uh, the, the, the idea that we have to be prepared at all times it's it's quite it's 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 quite marked in this chapter uh, you know we also talk about i mean she also talked about the idea that there are people out there who are set in times it, 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 it is interesting that she calls these people like fanatics these are the people who are set in times and they're telling you you know like i'm not saying that he's coming in five years but in five years <laughs> he'll come uh, they they, they kind of like justify him but at the same time they're telling you a little bit that it is happening that time and, and and it's very clear that after after a specific time we have no other time prophecy as such. For the sake of the children, um, does anybody remember what is the longest day prophecy that we have in the Bible? And after that, we have no no longer a time prophecy. What's the longest um, time prophecy that we find in the scripture? What do you think, kids? Thinking the thinking. Adults instruct the kids. Is it the 2,200-day prophecy? Yeah, that's the one. It's the longest we've given. And at the end of that prophecy, uh, well done, Becca, there is no other time. Like, there was no other time given, and Sister White makes it very clear. After that prophecy finishes, which was fulfilled, when was it fulfilled, kids? When was the 2,300-day prophecy was fulfilled, according to the understanding we have? 1844. Well done, Hadassah. Nice. Very good. Very nice. 1844. You know, Sister White doesn't even say 22nd of October, 1844. She says the autumn, the fall, because obviously it's the American timing, the fall of 1844. Christians, and we could even argue very well-meant Adventists, have been sacked by a lot of things sharing the idea that there is another time setting. You know, I think maybe 10 years ago, there was very uh, a big movement on that. Uh, you might my head of it. Yeah, the, was it the 2030, the 2020, 2020 some 2015? Some, some timing um, given specifically. Okay. Any other thoughts about this this um, um, this chapter? I really, really like this. Twenty five twenty. Thank you so much for for writing it down. Twenty five twenty. Sorry, that was abruptly. I really like this where she says, "By giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return." And the last 
And it says, he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. Mm. So it is in our power to put all these horrible things that are going on in the world to put it to an end. Wow. So basically, if there is anyone to blame why Jesus hasn't come yet, correct me if my translation is wrong, it is our fault. Clearly, I don't know if I wanted to hear that. Well, yeah, I stabbed myself in the heart. <laughs> I think that's so important. I think I'm going to ask this question, and it's basically linked to what you're saying. Did anybody get troubled by this chapter? I know I keep on talking about trouble, but did anybody get some internal conflict? Yeah, well, I think um, Ellen White, uh, in the same chapter on page 38, she says, it's the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. So it's our fault. Okay, okay. Yeah. You know, the thing that troubled me, but I think, and I was going to ask, so why do you think that's the case? But you gave the answer clearly, and Elisa, thank you. You already gave it. But the thing that troubled me is, there's a lot of quotes when she's saying, you know, Christ is coming, Christ is coming, he's coming now, you know, he, he's going to come. She's talking about, you've noticed, she talked about the idea of the resurrection, you know, the people who are right now here, some are going to be going to the worms of the earth, some are going to stay alive and will meet the Lord. She talked as if Christ was coming right there and then. And, if, and look, in a way, in a big way, I don't know how you feel, I'm happy that he didn't come back then. Because that will mean that you and I wouldn't be here today. I might be selfish, but hey, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't mind that part. But, but they didn't come. But they didn't come um, at all. I have here, somebody wrote in privately, uh, the unbelief is our main problem. The unbelief is a, it's our main problem. Does it make sense? Does it make sense to you that the idea that the unbelief... Yeah. Stevie asked a question. He whispered a question again. He said, so is it the preaching of the gospel that is hindering his second coming or is it our condition that is hindering the second coming? A conviction. Is that right? Oh, it's right. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good question, uh, even if it's not the right one. Oh, okay, that's, so no, that's right. That's the right. It's the it's the one that Alisa mentioned. All those okay. three things that were mentioned in that quote, I think that's. Mm. Think about what it. Page was that, Alisa? I mean, oh. uh, so it's page thirty-eight. It's under the heading of the delay explained, and it's mm-hmm. uh, at the bottom of the second last paragraph of that section. Yeah, it's unbelief. It's worldliness. It's unconsecration and strife because there are many churches I notice they might be zealous for God's work and yet they can't get along Mm. because you're trying to compete with each other. And so you don't move forward with the work because you're trying to fight with each other. But you also have the people who are look zealous on the outside, but then they don't, they're not doing the right thing or they're not preaching the right thing either. So, Mm. yeah. So then it's more the condition of the church than really. Okay, I think the Yeah, it's not really. Well, it's Yeah, it's both because you you can be you can't be a true Christian without actually preaching. So your own spiritual condition and your character is just as important as when you you spreading the word like. It goes hand in hand. If that makes sense, like yeah, for me it's yeah. both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, Catalina or who is it? Angelica. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would like to compare situation with Israelites in in desert. It says on pay. This is still third. You went a bit further. Than Further to the book, but I'm just, I was reading this book, this chapter. For 40 years, did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. Mm. On the top of 20th page. 
Unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion. Mm. Mm. Can I just read what um, Catalina was saying to I just realized is what you mean by preaching. You mean like people don't know the truth, right? Yeah. So yes. God wants yes. to yeah. yes. say that Jesus hasn't come because not everyone has heard the gospel, which is generally yeah. what we sort of say. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Think about this. Yeah, children. That definitely children, if I were to say to you, I will give you one billion, not a million, one billion dollars. If you go yourself on a handstand against the wall for 24 hours, nonstop, would you try? <laughs> No. You wouldn't? Yes. No, yes. <clears throat> Rebecca I'll would. I'll do it. If you, Abby if wouldn't you try. I'll do it. Yeah. Catalina will do it on behalf. What, what about Chloe, Naomi, and Caleb, and, and, and Hadassah? Would you do it? And, and Isaac, and, Eli, and I don't know if Elias understand what I'm trying to say. But... I'll do it. Me, no. I'll not do it. <laughs> He's not into it. Isaac is not interested in money. You could help a lot of people with that money. You could buy me a new tractor, Isaac. <laughs> so, this is the thing. You might do it. If I ask this to the adults and I say, hey, you guys, do this and I'll give you $1 million. Now, those of you who know me well, and I think you don't have to know me well to realize that I don't have $1 billion. You probably wouldn't do it unless you were certain that I, this is going to happen. Because it would require a lot of effort to go on a handstand for 24 hours. I guess the idea that I was trying to convey is what we were talking about, the unbelief. And, you know, many of you would potentially go upside down if you believe that I will give you the million, the $1 billion. You probably even will tape yourself with duct tape onto the wall just to get it. Because imagine the beautiful things that you could do for the gospel or for yourself if, or for your family or whoever. So it is about the belief. The belief plays a big role in here. If you don't believe that I'll give you whatever, if I have the capacity to give you this, you'll never do anything. And sometimes, you know, I wonder about myself if I don't truly believe that stuff about uh, what God has promised us and what he promised he will do with us, in us, for us, for the people, through us. And so we go out and we backslide over and over again. And backsliding doesn't necessarily mean getting out of the church. We're backsliding within the church because of all those things, you know, worldliness and consecration, strife amongst people and all that kind of stuff that we talk about. Um, it is, it's, it's interesting. I guess, uh, I guess I mentioned about the idea of, you know, it puzzled me the idea that people were not ready. So Sister Y was talking about, you know, He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. We will see him. Some of you will die, but some of us will stay alive. And yet, he didn't. So the question here is, because I would like us to open the Bible into a Bible study. We only have 22 minutes. Does God change his mind? Oh, I, I sorry. I, I'll read some comments that I was, it was sent to me privately. It says, the Father will announce the coming of Jesus Christ. The Father announces the day and the hour of Jesus coming at midnight a couple of weeks before Jesus comes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that private message um so does god changes his mind was god going to come like because this is important because sister white said that and she's a prophet either she was a prophet or she was a bluffer because she said they're coming and christ never showed up so either she was lying or christ was coming but he's changed his mind Do we have any examples in the Bible when God has changed his mind? And if you have your Bible, bring it out because this is the time when we're going to use it. Any examples? You don't have to read it. You just bring the stories if you know them. Uh, yes, Moses Caleb. is in the Exodus. Oh, yes. he, had experience, he had the experience with the uh, murmuring Israelites. And God said in Exodus 31, I'm going to destroy all of them. Mm. And uh, Moses petitioned God. In Exodus 32, and says, if it's if you're willing, he says, I'm prepared to have my name blocked, blotted out of the book of life. Mm. Keep these people, even though they're stiff-necked and hard-hearted. You've Why promised, you? you've made a promise, and you need to keep your promise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, so, that's exactly what happened. Um, the 
God say, hey, you know, Moses, I want you to go down. There are just being, uh, there is padding, there's been idolatrous, they're not doing my will. You go down, check it out. But you know what? Don't worry about it because we're going to get rid of all of them. You and I, you know, you're, you're, you're my buddy, you're faithful. You and I will build a new nation. I'm going to build something good from you. Uh, and, and Moses pleads. I always find that story, that story puzzling because it, well, Moses is almost like blackmailing God, like, oh, you know, people are going to see that you brought them out of Egypt and now they're going to see that you destroy them. That's not nice. How are you going to look before the people? Like defending God's character kind of thing. And uh, I think God doesn't do anything unintendedly. He probably already knew he was going to forgive them. But regardless of, he changed his mind. He did. He did. Good. Good, good example, Landon. Any other example? Jonah, like, the, he, God said that he was going to destroy the Ninevites, but, oh. but then they repented and he forgave them. Right. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Jonah chapter 3, he goes, hey, you know, he goes through the streets. He's going to get destroyed. We'll read that, I think. Let, let's read. Let's open the Bible. I said that the Bible, um, unless you have uh, other, any other stories, though, you can think of. Hezekiah is another one. Like he was, he was telling him to mm-hmm. set up his house in order, and then he pleaded, then he added fifteen years, and then lo and behold, comes Manasseh after that. Yes. Um, we have another example with Abraham and Isaac, where God asked him to sacrifice it, sacrifice okay. Isaac, and he then gave him the sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good. Hmm. Good. Good example. I also think that, I don't know, I'm kind of like not really sure about thinking that God changes his mind. Okay. For me, um, for me, why Jesus didn't come, it's, it depends on the conditions. There are things that he was waiting for to happen. And okay. he obviously, if it happened in Ellen White's time, then it would have happened. But it, because it didn't happen, and so that's why the delay. So okay. there's a condition for me. It's conditional more so than God changing his mind. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, clearly. So it's more like about that idea of um, of that dependency on our, our character being ready. Um, he needs to come and pick up a, a, a pure and white church. Mm. Let's read Malachi. Let's go. I think that's a very well-known passage that everybody kind of knows. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, I have a message here saying it's conditional on our acceptance of the message of the work God has given us to have an opportunity to do. Good. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 6. Uh, whoever has it there would be great if you could read it. Okay, so Malachi 3 verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. What is the verse saying? Well, that God does not change. The God does not change, which is what clearly said. And yet we have all those examples of things that seem to be changing his mind. Any other thoughts about that? Look, I, I think the, the point that clearly was making is quite a good one. Like this, God is, um, you know, like in the same way as we have the mercy, the justice, all in one package. And um, and sometimes we, even as parents, we... We, we use, you know, like one way or the other to, to guide our kids to, um, to a better kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. I think God is, is all encompassing and he will not change his mercy, his, uh, judgment positive, um, okay. and negative aspects mm-hmm. of it. Um, mm-hmm. so what, whatever he does and also the conditional, um, agreement that, that he has with us and, and all the, the, um, mm-hmm. yeah, all the, he also has with humankind. So I guess in that sense, God says, I am complete. I will be forever. But within me, there are many facets mm-hmm. of God, mm-hmm. like being merciful when we don't deserve mercy mm-hmm. and when we haven't um, achieved perfection. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, I think, um, Let's probably open some of those um, passages because I think that's 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 interesting. You know that 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 the idea that you're saying, Bernard, that sharing about uh, the mercy of God. Let, let's open some of those stories that you mentioned very briefly. We won't read the whole story, just the key passages. Why don't, why don't we go to Jonah, which is one of those that were mentioned. Caleb mentioned that one. Jonah, I think I said it was in chapter three. So I'll try to go to chapter three. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it is right. Uh, Jonah, 
journal, one of those books that are so little and sometimes we don't find it because we don't know where it is. It's right before Micah and right after Obadiah, Jonah chapter 3. Chloe, Chloe looks ready to read Jonah it, chapter 3 verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, cool. Then Abby, if you can read, I'm sure you're ready now, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And then, just for the sake of this, let's read verse 10, uh, Becca. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What does that mean? What does that verse 10 mean? I think Rebecca's version says relented. My version says something different. Similar, but different. Mine is KJV. Mine says God repented. The root word it really is talking about restoration. God restored them kind of to, God restored them to his grace, to the book of life, really. That's really what we're talking about here. So there was a bit of a change, but maybe not the way we see it. Maybe not the way we see it. Let's read another story, because I think this story brings us a bit of God's character somehow. Go to Daniel. I think that's close. That's an interesting, those of you who were following Sabbath school last, last year, no, last term, last quarter, You will have read this. Daniel chapter, we're going to read Daniel chapter 4, I think. You know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Let's start verse 27. So let's just summarize. So the king has this dream and he has this dream about, you know, this, this tree and the branches and the animals coming. And basically Daniel comes, interprets the dream and he says, you know, king, this is you. Um, and, 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 you know, you're basically going to go crazy. That's, that's the bottom line. That's what happened to him. You're going to go like uh, um, a bit psychotic schizophrenic, uh, you lose your mind. Let's pick it up from verse chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. And I'm going to ask Caleb, are you ready to read or not reading? Yeah, okay. Daniel chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, please. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by shewing mercy to the poor, if it may be lengthening of thy tranquility. Okay. So what is Daniel saying after he interpreted the dream of the doom that was going to come to him because of the way he was behaving? What, did, what is Daniel saying? What is he implying? What is the big picture here? If he repents... Okay. So if you repent, if you repent, what will happen? Um, he will be, I guess he could avoid or, yeah, avoid the, mm. the days of, or maybe like lengthen his days of sanity or shorten his days of insanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he's saying, look, this is going to come, but maybe if you repent, this isn't going to come to you. Your days of insanity will be shortened. Maybe you, you can escape from this doom. Um, so we have an element here of, we could call it conditionality. Um, I don't know if you can, if, if that makes sense. There is a condition usually, like all of these prophecies were given, but there was a conditional. And sometimes, like I think Bernard mentioned the idea of Hezekiah, Even in Hezekiah's uh, example, he actually pleaded and God kind of like said, okay, fine, I'll give you more time to his doom because he ended up being proud and then he kind of like changed. But um, yeah, so that's an interesting thing. Any thoughts about that? Any thoughts about this idea, these little stories we have read so far? One thought is that God's plan A is always the best one. Um, I can think of Lot as well, and uh, and um, you know if if Lot would have heeded to the council and actually run away, Ellen White says that because he doubted, because he went like, oh, can we actually go here, and and do we really have to go now? And because he doubted, his mm. wife perished. Like he didn't help that. So God's plan A is better when he says go into. Canaan, a first go, you go into Canaan, a first go. Yes, he can have a plan B, but I guess for us, um, for our benefit, it's always better to, to hear to his counsel mm. immediately. 
Yeah, thank you, Bernard. Which is, I think, oh, what Angelica, it, it's what Angelica was saying, I think, before. She was saying that, you know, she, she also cheated like Bernard because they skipped to the next chapters. But she mentioned the idea that they, they, the Israelites wander in the desert unnecessarily. There was no need to do that. Um, sorry, somebody was talking. Was it clearly or, or Catalina? I think. Yeah, it was was me. So Naomi, can you be here? So the other point that I found, which was applicable in both those stories, and I think in all the stories, is basically where we've where that we've mentioned is that even though there was a judgment, even though there was a plan of destruction, it was mm-hmm. always balanced out with salvation. There was always an opportunity for repentance. Yep. Um, and I think you know, even with the example about going into Canaan, like. God didn't exclude everyone from entering the promised land. There was still hope for the others. Um, so, yeah, I think that was something that stood out. It's the fact that there's always hope, even in the midst of the fact that you've rebelled, you're wicked, you're sinful, whatever. God still gives an opportunity for repentance and salvation. There's always a turn back. Yeah, beautiful thoughts really there. Yes, I, I want to add to what Catalina said as well. I, I'm going along a similar, similar line, so in the sense you look at Jaina, I mean, yes, it was the Ninevites who were like that, but then God used their repentance to show Jonah where he was lacking. And it was the same with King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, as much as he was the one that suffered uh, because he's had so many chances, you know, it was his whole kingdom that could see, you know, God's power and mm. uh, and that. So sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes, so God still hasn't changed in the sense that, mm. you know, he his ultimate is he wants to save us. And sometimes he uses different circumstances. I mean, you look at Jonah, he's a whole nation to turn him around and show him where he was lacking, yeah. you know, whereas in Nebuchadnezzar, that one guy to show the whole nation where they're mm-hmm. lacking. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm. I like those thoughts in there that you're sharing that, uh, that um, the, the God's purpose are always the same. Um, clearly, were you going to say something? Oh, uh, me? Well, I was going to say that's why I think it is so hard to point out because I'm a very avid fan of Revelation and just the future prophecies. That's why mm-hmm. it's so hard for me to point out um, what is going to take place in the uh-huh. end because it's so conditional. I like to know what's ahead of me. I'd like to know what's in the future. I want to know what's going to happen to the church. I want to know what's going to happen to the world. I want to know when Jesus is going to come, all sorts Mm. of stuff. But it's so hard to pinpoint what's actually going to take place because it's dependent on us. Uh. It's dependent on people. Mm. I think Ellen White says, I don't remember exactly the quote, but she says, upon these things lie the destiny of the church. And so it's yeah. it's conditional again. The interesting thing is that, you know, when we think about Nineveh, when we think about all those prophecies that kind of like seem to change, the only thing that changed was the time, but Nineveh still disappeared because they eventually turned back their way. Uh, when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing. Uh, when we think about Hezekiah, he still died eventually. He got extra time and he was going to die at some point. The scary part, I think, talking about what you're saying, clearly, I think the scary part, at least for me, is that we could be here and we could die and our children could die and he might still not come. And I think that's a sovereign thought in my mind because we already talked about, you know, the, the signs are there, but the signs were there in the time of LNG White. We were talking about the signs last week, the week before, terrifying things are happening. Things were happening back then as well, but the people were not ready. And I think it's up for us now to be able to to put our act together and somehow to be able to hold close onto our faith because because of that conditionality of the character of the church, if God cannot, if God cannot pick up a, a a clean, pure church, Satan could as easily say, "Look, I told you, look, nobody really does what you want them to do because they love you. They just do it because they're fearful of you. They, nobody is really showing you your righteousness as such. They're just as bad as me." And Sister White says, early writings: if you let them come into that kingdom, you have to let me and my angels come back too. You cannot let them like that. Look at them. But that is a beautiful thing. That quote doesn't finish there. This is not in a, in a writing today. But she says, you know, that's when Christ comes out. And he said, I'm sorry, but look at this stuff. These people, they are not righteous because I know you can point out about what they did bad and bad today and yesterday like Moses. 
but I can claim them because they claim the blood of the land. They claim my blood. Anyway, I just wanted to add um, to that point in Second Peter three nine. Mm-hmm. The beauty of all this is that the Lord is not slacking concerning His promise, as mm-hmm. some count slackness, but it's long suffering mm-hmm. toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. a, it's quite um, uh, quite a merciful God, the one that we serve, mm-hmm. and if we have and we know people that in our families, friends that have not yet accepted him as the Lord and Savior. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing thought that he's actually mm. waiting, waiting for them to repent. Absolutely. I think one of the things that makes this stuff hard to follow is the fact that we know that God knows the beginning to the end. So he knows when he's exactly coming. <laughs> and in our minds, it's a bit hard to comprehend that he could have come when Ellen Joy was saying it. If they were ready, he will have come. But we know when he knows when he was going, he's going to come. And that is why we shouldn't be saying, hey, you know, sell everything, go do an 1844 and don't prepare yourself. Don't have jobs. Don't do anything because he's coming. And, 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 and the reality is we should be ready now, but we should continue spreading the gospel. And, and, and Sister White says, you know, live our lives as if he's literally not coming in a lifetime because only he knows. I think I, I would like, we have to finish, I suppose, because we say we stick to an hour. It's past the hour. As you know, we can go on here forever. But I would like to propose that I think maybe God... Another story from Abraham. Abraham bargained with God. I think some of you might have talked about it. I mean, um, Bernard talked about a lot. Um, but Abraham bargained with God. Hey, you know, God, if, if there were a certain amount of people, would you destroy them? Oh, no, 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 no. Abraham knew that he could bargain or he at least had his chances. And God said, look, I'll change my mind. If there were this amount of people, I won't destroy it. But there were none. Like, there were like just couple of people you know loading his family so he still destroyed the city but he brought the man instead of saving the whole of Solomon and Gomorrah judgment has to come on that city at some point and I think so I think we have a lot of examples that the people in the Bible faithful people like Abraham like Daniel like Jonah Jonah knew if we were to read the whole story Jonah says you know I knew that you were going to do that God and I didn't want you to do it because if you see the story behind the scenes Jonah didn't like the Ninevites they were enemies so he if it were up to him, he would be happy that they were they were dead. They were going to be gone. So he said, like, I knew that you would change. I knew that you were righteous and just and merciful and you were going to change your mind and you saved them. The thing here is they knew that God could have changed. But could it be possible that the change that God does is not the change that we do? Could it be possible that we as human beings, we change because we make mistakes. We're not necessarily regularly doing the things that we tend to do. We are always non-consistent I guess not consistent with what we do I have here something that was shared with me again uh, in the chat it says I think this is this is relevant to to what I'm trying to share God's repentance is not like men's repentance the strength of Israel will not lie to not repent for he is not a man that he should repent so he's talking about God the strength God is not a man that he should repent Men's repentance implies a change of mind. Men's repentance, I'll repeat that, I think, because I think it's important. Men's repentance implies a change of mind. God's repentance implies a change of circumstances and relations. Uh, from, and it's a quote from Conflict and Courage. So the idea here really is that we change our minds because we are not consistent, but God is consistent. And I think Bernard read this passage in in in, in Peter, Second Peter three nine was zero two nine that he he is not a lack concerning his promise. Could it be possible that God changes some of these prophecies' fulfillments? Could it be possible that He changes them because it is consistent with His conduct? So you know, we read Malachi says that God doesn't change, but actually He He doesn't change. He doesn't repent because. Uh, when you read the word repentance, it doesn't really mean that in the true Hebrew uh, Hebrew word. What we're talking about here is that he changes because he's consistent with his character. When you see all the times that we talked about the changes that he had, there was one thing in common, and that is his love, his mercy, his grace. He only changed when the people changed and surrendered to him. That's when he said, look, okay, I'm not going to destroy you now because reality is that you hear my judgment, you hear what was coming, and you surrendering back to me. And that is, doesn't mean that he's changing his mind. He never changed his mind because in his mind, he wants everybody to come to repentance. So he's consistent with that idea. 
And so he's saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to, because he's waiting, you know, Ezekiel 33, 11, what does it say? I forgot, but it says something around the lines of, uh, I have no pleasure on the day of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and, and, and leave, turn you, turn you from your sins. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Which is relevant to that verse. And I think, uh, Bernard, could you read it again? Because I think that, um, that we could finish with that promise of Second Peter uh, saying, why, why could it be that, um, that he's still holding, which is what we, where we start till we finish him, really. That's really the, the, um, the topic of the chapter. To read it? Yeah. So yeah. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah. We'll finish with this thought, but I want to know your opinion. Because I think I mentioned at the beginning that I would like us to have all study when we dissect about who God is. What does that tell you about your God? What does that tell you about you, who your God is? Control, that it's not slack, okay. and that loves us. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see a God that's merciful, and he's wanting every single soul on this earth to come to him. Mm. And so that just calls... I don't know, it caused my heart to, you know, just reach out to everyone that does. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Any other thoughts? Is this the picture that you see your friends and families who are not God-driven, uh, who are worldly, who don't know about God? Is that the picture that people outside have from God? I think probably it will be, you know, people tend to think of God as someone who's waiting to punish you and to zap you immediately. Um, on the contrary, this verse tells us that he's looking for an excuse to wait a bit longer, to save us, to um, to justify um, our entry into eternity with him. Yeah, amen. If we were to tie it up with... God is doing Yes, Lennon. God is good. Amen. Amen. God is good. He's doing... God is... The world paints the, thinks of God, and I talk to people at work, and they think God's there to boil you and... <laughs> give you a hard time and yeah. we'll roast you in hellfire for eternity. Mm. But the Bible paints a different picture and we see this in the story of Noah, Jonah and various mm. other places. God is doing everything he can to save as many people as he can. Amen. Even if it takes a little bit longer, he's prepared to do it if it will save another person. Amen. Thank you. I think we I could... think with anyone mm-hmm. I think with anyone, unless you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that their motives are pure, you'll never truly um, understand them. And I think the same comes with God. I think the picture that's been portrayed of him, like everyone was saying, like he's going to shoot down lightning and judgment. judgment. Mm. I think until people give him the benefit of the doubt and take time to get to know him, his character will always be falsely represented. Um, so, yeah, I think media does a great job of portraying a really negative aspect of God and putting it in a negative light. So, yeah, it'll take a little while. And it takes us to show the true character of Christ in our interactions with people for them to truly understand what Christ is actually supposed to be like. Excellent. No other thoughts? I think we could finish there. Clearly, you wanted to say something? I can see you there. You're thinking something. <laughs> Come I on, tell me, tell me. Back. I'm always, I'm always thinking something. She will tell me. Ah, oh, there's so much to say. Well, you know, I just think that there is only so much mercy that God has watching mm. all the wicked things that are happening in the world. God is long suffering. God is patient, but He sees everything that's taking place. We see a little bit of suffering, but He sees all of it. There's slavery. There's whatever prostitution, there's trafficking, there's all sorts of horrible things that are going on that he wants it to end, and he's relying on us to end it. Mm. So, I think we responsibility could, really. I think we could finish with that idea, that, which ties up very beautifully. You know, God is waiting, and yet, and, and it's in this chapter we read, Sister White just says it very clearly, you know, it's a privilege for us to be able to participate. It, it's actually a duty. It's actually, we should be hastening the coming of his of, of, of him we should be by, by spreading the gospel by Catalina said you know by showing Christ to them in the way we are by 
saying, hey, you know, you don't have to die because he will come and there will be destruction and there will be judgment. And, you know, my Lion of Judah is not the one you want to face as the Lion of Judah against you. You will want to have the Lion of Judah defending you against the wickedness of the people who didn't accept him. Um, uh, and that, that's, that's, the, that's a true fact, you know. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, family. I think we can finish with that thought in the, in the thought of the, the balance between the mercy and the love of God combined, you know, in justice and righteousness. His justice is balanced with his love and his mercy. And I think that's what makes it a perfect God. I think that's what makes him the God that we can follow safely, trust, uh, believe, and, and love. Um, because he first loves us, and because he has the right to do whatever he wants, and because he does it all based on love. And even that judgment will be based on that idea of, of mercy. Um, hmm. Thank you, everybody. Let's pray. Let's pray so that you can all go to sleep and do everything else that you do. Um, let, let's let's have a, a, a word of prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity that you gave us to, to open the Bible, to study the word. Lord, um, so many heavy messages here. Uh, we know that we're not ready. And yet we want to be ready. But part of us is struggling like Paul's uh, desires of the flesh. So Father, we pray that you help us. That you forgive us first and then that you help us to continue walking in your life. Father, keep our names in the book of life. Forgive our sins as we forgive other people. And help us so that with the desire, with the recognition of this desire in our hearts to for you to come back, we also have the desire to be able to share to others, to spread the gospel, to be able to be participants of that Matthew 24, 14 we spoke about before. Lord, thank you for who you are, for your love, your kindness, your message, your justice, your forgiveness. And thank you for calling us to be participants of the work that you have called us to do. In this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. Like it, share it, hashtag it, comment, and find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Tumblr as Adventist Reflections. God bless you.